They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole. Get we found. ready. It's time again to venture down the rabbit hole into the world of cybersecurity. You're plugged into the podcast for security leaders and practitioners with a business sense. Prepare for unique interviews, insights, and practical advice that makes your job just a bit easier. And now, please welcome your guides on this adventure, James Jardine and the White Rabbit, Raffalos. Da, 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 da. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome down the security rabbit hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raph. I've got guests. Let's get going. James in the far square adjusting his uh, camera. How you doing, buddy? Good. Just trying to get the fan a little bit out of there. Sometimes it attracts people's eyes to it to see that thing. It's getting warm, though, man. Summer is here. I'm I'm feeling it. It's... uh, you know, it's amazing how fast it's gotten here. I think. Yeah, man, we went from uh, from fake spring to uh, second of winter, uh, straight into summer. Uh, yesterday was uh, eighty nine degrees, and we spent some pool time. I got a little bit of a little bit of a sunburn, so I got to put on a lighter, lighter, softer shirt today. That's kind of great. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's beautiful weather here. Uh, everything's blooming. It's 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 good go time, and uh, in the middle there in the frozen tundra. Hey Grant, it's it's nice and uh, thanks. Welcome back, and or I guess I should say I'm glad to be back. But yeah, no, it's a lovely gray day here in Ohio. So uh, I'm jealous of both of you, and and uh, I'll live vicariously through your nice weather because uh, we're in we're in third winter, you know, rainy spring or whatever it is here in Ohio now, uh, waiting for real summer to show up. So we'll change like- that. You'll change that jealousy though, because come July. <laughs> We'll be wishing we were there enjoying that summer and not this summer. <laughs> so Grant, confirm something for me because my, my kids taught me there's a meme going around about Ohio. Uh, and it's like uh, uh, Ohio's, Ohio's, uh, Ohio's weather is so bad even Chuck Norris won't go to Ohio. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't seen that one, but it wouldn't shock me. Uh, it, it's like all these things about Ohio, like uh, it's like, uh, you know. Uh, that would make it wor- like the worst place to be like Ohio's not real kind of thing. That's everybody that isn't, has never been to Ohio likes to, you know, crap on Ohio. But in the end of the day, you know, it's, it's still a very nice place. Everybody that lives here is like, ah, oh, yeah, I hate Ohio, but then they stay here forever. And, and it is what it is. So I, it, it, everybody talks bad about it. It's got great jokes, but you know, if it's just about weather, that's good because there's a lot of other things you could joke about. Uh, you know, <laughs> I won't go into. We're gonna, leave, we're gonna leave most of those alone. Uh, yeah, that's for a different podcast, I think. Yeah, we could do we could do the sports version, um, <laughs> and just just gonna leave leave that one right there. But uh, all right, well, today the conversation, lovely folks, is all about uh, is all about vulnerability. Uh, there, there was an interesting thread that that got started. Um, Patrick Garrity started it, who who we had as a, a guest, but didn't quite make the show. Uh, <laughs> calendaring things got in the way, but uh, he, no. So he, he's been he's been uh, publishing uh, research from his org, uh, and some of the stuff was pretty interesting. Uh, there was this there's a post that originally started, 
you know, in, in vulnerability and vulnerability management context is key. Uh, I, I agree. Um, and, and we started talking about the CISA the known exploited vulnerabilities, the KEVs that is now up to 925, uh, which is a, a staggering number, uh, of vulnerabilities. Um, and you know, the, I think I want to probably start this, this show off with the following thought boys with that many things that can be exploited. Um, if you're not doing some sort of analysis on prioritization and, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's more important than the other, what's even the point? <laughs> I think, but if, if we look at it from the thing that drives me nuts about prioritization is that if you start working about prioritization and you start focusing on prioritization, the thing you're not doing is patching all your vulnerabilities. And people spend so much time on that and they do not I'm glad CISA did it for us, I guess. But, but I mean, 925 known exploitable vulns, does that mean that's all I have to patch? Like there's nothing else that's exploitable. Like there's nothing else that's going to cause me a problem later in life. I don't know. Well, so yeah. there's, well, I think, you Go know, ahead, the Jess. other thing that it brings in, I think what you're saying, Grant, you know, is that you're not building the process for patching. You're now building a new process around, okay, this is the new, you know, log for J. How do I deal with that? Right. Like the reactionary, which that seems to go the way, right? Like it's more of a, how do we react to some issue versus how do we actually build processes to start handling patching on a regular basis? Should we prioritize something that's known exploited? If I see something that comes out and says, Hey, look, this outlook bug is known exploited. If you get an email, you're popped. Yeah. That's priority. (laughs) Right. We jump on that. But do you build your whole program around jumping on those few? And ignore or not ignore, but, you know, set aside all the rest that, by the way, at any given moment, every one of those other 100,000 patches you're missing could now be on that list because somebody found something today or they found it tomorrow. And now all of a sudden you're trying to go backtrack and say, oh, wait a minute, which one of these do I have? I think it does become a very difficult thing to handle versus a, hey, here's our patching program. How do we patch this stupid stuff? And if there's something that's high priority, that's typically one-off, right? Like they're not as common. How do we squeeze that in to put that fire out, but then continue on our patching way? I'm going to, I'm going to say that I, I, my, my opinion is that, you know, more, uh, more threading the needle between those two, because the, the thing that's most, obviously the things that are probably most important are um, the, the known exploited, right? So I, I will agree that if there's an exploit for it, if there's two patches you have to apply, one of them there is a known exploit for, one of them there is not. I mean, the priority clearly is, in my opinion, which I think is the same one, sane one. I don't get to say that very often. Um, <laughs> and that the one you should be patching is the one that there's an exploit for. Somebody's you know uh, uh, running around and exploiting right now. Now, that said, um, that does belie the fact that there's probably about 25 other factors uh, that go into this, right? Just because you have a known exploitable vulnerability in your environment, uh, 
so, you know, that's great. Uh, where is it? Uh, what is it, you know, kind of, what is it guarding? Uh, or what is this uh, entry point into? Um, does it, does it truly matter? And frankly, what happens when you have a thousand non-exploited vulnerabilities and, and how do you get to it? Like I, guys, I think that I'd like to think, I would like to think, and this is, this is one of those, like, uh, and, you know, in, in everywhere except for Ohio, uh, patches get automated. Uh, <laughs> see, my, my, my kids will do that now. Now they're like, so anyway, but the patch automation seems to be the only way we can get anything done anymore because uh, there's the sheer volume. But even with sheer volume, being able to like think of thinking of it that way. I just don't have a good sense that everybody's doing everything automated. I still think there's a lot of manual effort out there. And if there's a, and if there's any manual effort out there, like any scale of this breaks manual effort a thousandfold. Well, I think that's what we were kind of talking about in the, in the, the thread, I think that originally speared this was what we were talking about was velocity. You know, the patching, the, the number of vulnerabilities that's come out, there's like something like 200,000 different vulnerabilities in, in the National Vulnerability Database right now. Yeah. Two million, I don't know. It's a huge number. So we've got a thousand of those that are that are actively exploited. Like if we're still doing our normal patching process, this is what James was saying earlier, I want to be able to patch everything in two days if I could, you know, and, and get everything rolled out. Like how do I be more agile about my patching process how am i patching faster so that it doesn't matter now maybe there are those those 933 that i do want to get done right away but if i could get everything else done in five days instead of maybe 10 or or 20 or, or 30 days that is appealing to me to have all of my patching done in some automated but reasonably safe way i think the hard piece about patching from an automated perspective is rolling back patches when they break in an automated perspective. That's the hard part. Once once we let that that cat out of the bag, it's sometimes really hard for us to do that, especially in an enterprise where you've got a lot of systems that you've got to go do. It's one thing to do it by yourself or you know with a small team, but um, that's hard when you break an enterprise like that. Well, it's different too when you think about automated patching. Is there's a new patch that automatically gets applied versus there's new patches. Somebody is manually going and saying, we can apply these ones. And then <laughs> automation goes and applies those. All right. You have that extra process. Nobody's out there going and saying, oh, new patch for Windows. Apply it everywhere we have it. Like that doesn't happen. If that was the case, we wouldn't have a patching problem. Right. It's a, still somebody's. Oh, I think we'd have a patching problem. Because. <laughs> Not the one you, you know, think, though. We think we can push this patch. I mean, even something simple, right? Like, oh, we need to push a .NET patch on that server. Okay, but does that affect the app team that's running their app on that server, you know, under a .NET platform? Or we need to push, you know, whatever, a new version of Python or anything like that. What does that affect on that server? Can I push that? There's a lot of things that go into, can we push this patch? Unfortunately, right? I mean, it'd be nice if we'd sit there and say, hey, patches don't break stuff, so we can push it, you know? <laughs> it would be great. Not a true, Not oh. a true statement. Well, and I think it, it goes back to, you know, knowing, okay, what's the criticality of that, which would then require me to have really nice asset management. Um, and I'm sure every company in the world has that. And I won't, let, let's not go down that. But we know the stat is like 60% accurate CMDB. 
You know, like if that's not accurate, then I'm not going to know what I can, you know, what's less risky, what's actually prioritized, what I should be patching first, what should I actually be worried about? What about that server 2012 box that's still floating around in my environment? Um, you know, that's got more than 933, you know, vulnerabilities on it. But like that, I think is the the difficult piece. We keep talking about patching or how to apply patches or having an SLA around patching, but we're not making it, we're not focusing on what is the new, what does new patching look like? You know, how are, what does automated patching look like in an enterprise for workstation, for servers, for apps? You know, that's, well, that's I mean, an issue. So, I mean, look, different, different things, I think, uh, different things handled this differently. I think there's a, there's a number of, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but I think the, the thing that is interesting is um, like, you know, your Chrome browser, right. For example, and uh, Chromium derivatives uh, will, will continue, will annoy you more and more. Like if you don't, if it, you know, you don't do the hit the pa- re, uh, relaunch button to apply the patch, like your add on stop working after a while. And they're like, I'm going to annoy you until you actually do this. Um, you know, w- windows uh, can, uh, in an automated way, do this. Um, I've, I've recently experienced my first—I uh, forget what it was called—but the uh, when, when Apple releases their secure, rapid security vault, rapid security, whatever, like that was actually pretty. Aside from the reboot, was actually pretty painless. Um, but we've gone. So l- let's talk about kind of history, how we got here, right? So a million years ago we'd all watch bug track and all that stuff and try to figure out what we needed to do, uh, what was out there, what was important. Uh, then we try to figure out how to, how to install it, test it, uh, put it out in production, realize it broke everything and then try to figure out how to, how to roll it back. Um, over time it's gotten better. Uh, but now we've got this confluence uh, of things. I think that need, that need to be discussed. One, how do we find out, that we have the issue. What's our notification process? Who do who tells us? Where does it come from? Uh, and how fast can we get it? Two, um, how do we know whether we have that vulnerability in our environment? I think, Grant, to your point, that is an asset management uh, a, a problem uh, more than anything else, um, and, and that's been a. a thing to solve for forever if we haven't figured that out yet uh, we, it's not, I don't think it's getting any better um, we we have the issue of the, the the volume of patches available we have the issue of the velocity meaning how fast they they show up um, and then we've got things like prioritization uh, and by the way uh, I seem to recall that by now we should be all in the cloud and cloud would you're never going to patch cloud systems you were just going to install the new version uh you know switch you know stand the new version up switch everything over decommission the old and patch management is a thing of the past so that turns out to be a lie um so there's a lot of things going on here and one of the worst hot takes I had I, I saw on this uh, Microsoft 925, you know, uh, total vulnerabilities, uh, some huge number of that is Microsoft's. And it was, there was a debate about how bad Microsoft is or why they haven't, uh, you know, they've got 258 out of 925 people like, Oh, they're, they're so terrible at this. Why are they so bad at this? I'm thinking to myself, cause like 9,000 devices in every company are Microsoft. 
you've got your workstations, you've got your servers, you've got like office, you've got 7,000 productivity applications. Like, are you kidding me? Like half the ecosystem is Microsoft. Keep telling yourself that's not the case, but it is, right? So the bigger the company, I think that that's the one spot. I'll let you guys talk about this a little bit, but that's the one spot where I think we've kind of gotten it completely wrong when we do these analysis. Like, oh, well, this company has this many and this company has this many. It's like, what, what does that actually tell you besides how big their ecosystem is? Okay, that brings you back to your known vulnerabilities, right? I mean, it's a... This is where the target is. This is where people are looking. It doesn't mean that any other operating system doesn't have that many sitting out there. It just means somebody's looking for them, right? So you have that issue that, again, great, I'm not doing this, but you've got groups out there that are probably looking for these that aren't sharing them, that have, you know, these state nation type things, right? They have that stuff. They're not sharing it. And if nobody else is looking, great, I went and patched the one that, you know, is publicly traded out there that everybody knows about that I could probably have some sort of rules set up or something else to protect against. That's a good point, James. But I'm not patching against the one that the nation state hackers are using because nobody knows about it. You know, remember when we used to go through your your history of it? I mean, you know, you'd do your Nessus scan and you'd be like, all right, do all the criticals and highs and, you know, forget lows and infos and all that. And then pen testers come in and be like, yeah, I'm going to use that low tied with that medium and might get in this way, but hey, don't worry. We're just focusing on highs and criticals. You know, I mean, it, it's the exact same thing. Like if you're focusing on one area and ignoring everything else altogether, you start running into a problem. So now you have to spend all this time. We have to bring in experts to be able to do all this analysis. What system do I have? Is it external? Is it internal? What data is on it? Is this exploitable in some way? Could they get to it from our system? What about if they attack our local system? They get on our, you know what I mean? Like you start... Like just pass the freaking thing, <laughs> and that's exactly it, right? Like that's that's kind of where I was getting down. Like prioritization, and there's all these great tools out there. I'm sure that do patch prioritization and tell me which ones to do first and everything else. But every minute I'm spending doing that, I'm not patching. Just how do I get more fluid in patching so that I can do it on a regular basis? Because even then, like when you think about the nest, it's maybe maybe I wasn't. I misspoke earlier, but it's like the, the knowing that there's vulnerabilities in the environment, that's easy. I, I deployed Nessus. I'm running Nessus scans. That's great. And guess what? I see a lot of vulnerabilities. I don't know which what that asset does. I don't know if it's something I should patch now. I don't know if it's internet facing, you know, or did somebody, you know, did a network engineer open a firewall rule for this because, uh, you know, we needed SSH in the internet. Like, like when you think about those level of vulnerabilities and it's great, but the, like, like your point about the cloud, like the servers are easy. The servers are like, eh, whatever. I'll, I'll figure that out. That's at least a known quantity. Hopefully, I bet we know where our servers are for ninety-nine percent of the time. But workstations are the hardest one because I can deploy Windows and Apple updates super easy. What I can't do is all of the third-party software that got installed that's on eight different versions. To your point about Chrome, Chrome's great that it updates its pat- that automatically if I use it. But if I install Chrome once and then go back to using Firefox, now I have Chrome 38 loaded on my workstation. That's vulnerable, but is it really a vulnerability if I'm not using it? Or how do I respond to that? And then I have to figure out how to patch all these. That's one, that's an easy piece of software that everybody has. It's the random stuff that people go and install to run their cameras now to, 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 to do whatever you know design work they tried to do one time and then ignored it. 
Now I got third-party software everywhere, and those are the hardest ones. I, I do take issue with one thing you said. You said that if we're doing analysis, we're not patching. Um, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't think in the modern world of IT that the person that's doing the analysis is the same person doing the patching. I think the analysis is done on the security team. The patching is done on the apps and systems teams. Yeah, not in small teams. Not not in not in, in okay. you know, major enterprise. Totally get you've got resources for that. Any company smaller than say two billion probably doesn't have the right resources to be able to do that because that same person on that security team is also their incident response. They're also doing regular operations. They're implementing new projects. All right. Fair enough. Now, and I so, but I think is you're right. In, in an ideal world, that'd be fantastic. So, guys, what's the answer? Because I'm, I'm, we, we've been sort of we, we've identified that all options suck. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm excited about in. that. Um, we, we if we develop a uh, a positive uh, environment in which you can track assets and know what's on them. Is that the most important thing? I think in my opinion, and this is, you know, what I've, what, what I've run team, I think the most important thing is vulnerability management. And this is the last several teams I, I've run. We had two, two jobs and anybody that worked on those teams, like they can tell you right now, it's get visibility and keep score. As long as we can see everything, as much as possible, right? We know that's not possible, but we're going to see everything, know where all the vulnerabilities are, and then measure how well we're keeping up with them with a good metric. That That's about the best way to tackle vulnerability management out there. And then you can know, to your point, then at least you know, what's my how good am I doing at keeping up with those patches? Am I in compliance with my, my SLAs of the things that I'm only patching criticals and highs? But you know, at least am I keeping up with it or not? Like, is that a better metric of, hey, I've got 3,000 out of compliance vulnerabilities, or should I know that my average patch time is 2.3 days? Which one's the better effective, you know, metric today for vulnerability management? Well, and that still, though, doesn't keep context into the system, right? Like, okay, I've got 3,000 unpatched systems, but what are those 3,000 systems? Because really what matters to me is five of those are the internet-facing app systems that we have, and the rest are all sitting behind, you know, three internal firewalls that you can't get to unless you actually go with a lock and key into a data center. We have to have you have to figure out how to get that context. Right. So you have to know what your assets are. You have to know how those vulnerabilities tie to those assets. So that way I can say this product or this piece of whatever we're doing has these type of vulnerabilities sitting on it. This is where I need to get that focus. Right. I can have a thousand systems with the exact same patch missing. And every one of them have a different criticality to them of, hey, I got to apply that patch, but I only have to apply it there on those 20 systems first versus these other ones. But again, now we're starting to get into this. I need to have somebody that can look at this context. How long does it take to dig in and, and get that to be able to say, these are the systems I need to do versus do it everywhere? You know, And that comes down to also how long does it take to do it on those systems Right. Maybe maybe that's a really hard patch and it's going to take a long time. So, yeah, we can focus the time to get the 20, but we're not going to get these other 800 that are sitting out there because 
they're not a high concern. So context, uh, I think, has to sit there someplace. Are we thinking about this wrong? Because um, we're thinking about this in terms of it feels like we're, t- we're thinking about context as a manual process, right? Adding context to it as a manual process. What if, when a wave a magic wand, what if we have the ability to, uh, as part of asset management, have some sort of metadata, right, on our on our devices. Um, is that machine accessible from? I think that's a dated thing to say, though. Is it internet accessible? Um, of course, it is. Everything's internet accessible, right? Because we're trying to all go to zero trust, uh, gimmick or not. So let's throw that out. But is that has is that sensitive not posture data? management though? I mean, is that basically what you're describing is posture management? Yeah, but having that, like this, this just keeps pointing me. This conversation and many and others like it just keep pointing me into the into the desire to have a sort of continuously somehow updating. If there was just some magical way of having a continuously updating asset inventory that was relatively, I mean, I'll settle for 85, 90% accurate, right? I can scan for the rest that told me what it was, where it is, who's on it, what's on it uh, in terms of corporate data, right? What that things that we care about. Um, and then having some automated way of, of performing remediation of some kind so that when a vulnerability comes out, the first thing that we don't have to do is grab your local copy of Nessus, wait for the check to come out and then start scanning because woe to you if that's how you do vulnerability management, patch management. I, I, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying woe to you because I've been there and that's how we did it, right? You say, oh crap, that's a massive vulnerability. All right, is there a Nessus check out for this? Not yet. Let's wait a couple of days. Okay, now it's out. Okay, now let's take five days to vulnerability scan the entire IP range that we own find them, spend a week trying to figure out who owns that asset. Like whose is that? How do I get into it? Uh, and three months later, I may have tracked down about half of those. That is not a way to run a railroad today, right? I know there's better methods. I, I know, I know there are better methods. I know the tools exist to do all kinds of magical analysis that'll tell you whether this vulnerability is more important than this one or which one's going to likely be exploited, which one, which will never be touched, right? Cause there's this whole thing of like some huge percentage of vulnerabilities out there are never exploited. They're just all nice, pretty theoretical, right? They're, they're, they're there, but nothing ever becomes of it. So how do you spend your time on the things that matter is ultimately what we want to know. And there are tools that will tell you this one versus this one there, but you, but it's it's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. How do we get good data is what I want to know. Well, is it maybe it's not about in in today's world, all right, where we've got Ooh. remote workers, where we've got lateral because zero trust is perfect and we have no lateral movement in the environment anymore. Um, but the vulnerability scanning, let's 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 kind of decompress what you, you kind of said before. All right, discovering the vulnerabilities in the environment. Versus knowing that a Microsoft patch got sent out or, or I've got something that says here's a new you know thing and I just patch it. Does the, the context of where the device sits in the network, does it really matter that much? I mean, I get, yeah, there could be hard patches, but okay. let's say 90% of them aren't hard to patch. Like we just need to apply the patch instead of the over analysis. The vulnerability scanning is, 
is a safety check of did all my patches get deployed right, not tell me where the vulns are so I can then go deploy. My system should be managed in some way so that I can go and deploy a patch. And so the context becomes out of the 25 vulnerabilities that come out today, which one do I apply first? If I can't apply all 25, great, but here are the ones that have to be applied, here's the ones that don't. And honestly, if it's a known exploitable vuln on that list, isn't it going to show up as a critical? Is it going to show up as a 9.5, 10, 10 CVSS score? So do I need the additional context or I just apply them and go? Because right. in the end of the day, with ransomware, it's all I need to do is pop one small vuln in some third-party app and I'm going to spread, right? So I have to apply everything to all the workstations. I have to patch all the servers. I can't just do one or the other, pick them out because we're going to move laterally. That's what's going to happen. That'll be the goal, right? And then either way, I get in the news if I get a system popped. Well, and that's what we were saying, right? Back at the beginning, you know, are we spending so much time trying to focus on fixing X and uh, ignoring just the process in general of yeah. we need to be able to get to a point where we can patch on a regular basis that we're not missing these things? Because one of the things that gets overlooked when you think about patching, yes, there's vulnerabilities out there that would never, ever, ever get exploited, right? But there was an update that was sent out, right? And so even from a, take a web, for example, right? jQuery gets updated. Maybe it was just general fixes. We went from one to 1.5, right? No security issue. Okay, we don't update it. Now we get to jQuery 3 that's released. It has a security issue <laughs> that you know that's getting patched or something, and it goes all the way back to one. Now I can't just apply that because going from one to three is an absolute nightmare, right? We've missed all the incrementals so that now that actual patch update is a huge issue. We got to rewrite a bunch of the application to work with the new features versus incrementally saying, hey, new patch came out. We're going to, we have a process. We apply that. We're constantly applying these patches. So we're not getting eight versions back. You know, like there, there's got to be stuff more around the patching process than just we're just patching for vulnerabilities because then we start letting other things kind of get out of hand, right? That snowball starts going. And then when it's like, okay, here's something big. I got to get Log4j out here. And it's like, wow, we haven't patched that in like five years. What are we going to do? We got to make huge changes to this versus, okay, we're a revision back. This will be no big deal. Pop it in and we're off. But we're that so busy, a, you know, that's not really pushing to say, hey, just patch it. And instead saying, OK, just focus on the issues and we'll ignore all the nonsense that's going on on the side that 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 technical debt is going to catch up to you and it's going to catch up at a real bad time. Yeah. So you, you said what I was thinking. And by the way, great point. Tech debt, right? There is a tremendous amount of effort that goes into uh, the longer something sits unpatched. Uh, untouched and then you have to make a simple simple change to it you suddenly realize it's like a you know multi-step 35-day process and requiring the sacrifice of firstborn children um to, to hope that it comes back like I, this is this is uh this is a that's a real thing though i don't james i think that's the uh that's something that i don't know that we've talked about in any real sense in any of the threads that i've seen because it even if you're doing prioritization priority based patching so even if you're only patching the things that 
and, and I'm curious, uh, folks that you're listening, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you handle this because if you're, if you're doing the priority based patching, uh, and you're only touching the things that are the most critical, you are silently building up a trash heap the size of Ohio. <laughs> I just sneak that in. Uh, of 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 he's out <laughs> he's out <laughs> of vulnerabilities uh, that are eventually going to come back and bite you because no, nothing stays out of that critical forever right five years seven there was a you guys remember there was a a a, 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 a file sharing there was a service that was out there it was like enterprise. Uh, it was like, remember Canvas, you could just, is a blank page, you drag and drop a file, it would give you a URL and you could send it to anybody and they could click that URL and it'll let them download that file. It, there's a bunch of these like uh, like transfer types. Of, like, yeah, yeah, the page, yeah stuff like that. I can't right? remember the one I'm thinking of, the Australian one, New Zealand. Yeah. Yes, right. There was there was one that was like, enter, like has been used by enterprise companies similar for like, I think it was called Canvas maybe or something like that for like, 20 years and and the, the 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 glory of it all was that about 9 years ago it went EOL and then it went EOL and and uh and and nobody really did anything about it like most of the customers were like well it's end of life we should get off of this thing but a fairly significant number of customers that these people had were like hey it's still functional i mean might as well keep using it and then somebody figured out a way to uh, like randomize through and iterate through and downloaded everything that anybody had ever pasted. People were like, oh my God, there's secret stuff in there. And they're like, well, how, how do you undo this? Like, what should we have done? And you look at it and go, well, uh, when, when, when that thing was a problem nine years ago, you, you sh- like it wasn't the Uber critical, but it was a problem. Somebody should have gone, hmm. Eventually, this is going to get into a point where it's unsurmountable, right? It's, it's in, sorry, insurmountable is a, is a problem. And so rather – and then they just kept building stuff on top of it, building stuff on top of it. And now the, the change required – and I haven't have, had lived this. I worked at GE in this massive environment. And I remember this because you'd have a vulnerability in an app that they – an old spring version, James, because uh, – or struts or whatever the hell, uh, things that I'm not familiar with. But – it was like four, five, seven, ten revisions back, and suddenly, like, oh, there's a critical. They're like, oh, we can't patch that. They're like, well, wait, why not? They're like, because it would require us to to, re- to change the entire thing, and some of those methods aren't available in the new thing, so we can't patch that. And you go, and left you, and you're left thinking, uh, what? Well, here's well, right, right. We don't do, we don't calculate maintenance of an app into building an app. And the same thing with building our infrastructure. We don't calculate the maintenance into that, right? If I go build an application today, or say I built an application 10 years ago on .NET Windows Forms 4.5, you know, and I get it up and running and it's serving my customers, it's doing what it needs to do, all right? But unless something major pops up, I'm not touching that app, right? We don't build in the, hey, wait a minute, you use jQuery and jQuery comes out with a release every three months, how do we make sure that that's being kept up to date, right? .NET is going to end of life at some point. We need to be ahead of that. Same thing with the systems, right? Windows 10 is going to end of life at some point. How do we get to that next version? But we don't calculate that in there. And that's why we have places that are still running Windows NT sitting in a box someplace. Because, you know, 
what's the excuse? Oh, we're using this legacy app that we can't put on the next version. Well, that should have been calculated in and said, hey, listen, these apps, we know that you get like 10 years notice that these things are going to expire. But nobody wants to pay the bill and say, hey, we have to go rewrite that app. It's not going to work on this technology anymore. Instead, they go the COBOL route and say, listen, we'll stick a server over there. We'll keep running it forever and you know, hope nobody touches it, right? But we make people lazy with how they go about doing this. And we assume that that app only costs me initial development costs or that system only costs me initial development setup. And then, hey, security will scan for key issues, but at some point that's going to die. And if you haven't planned for migration to continue that going for 20 years, then that's where we get into this spot. But everybody looks at technology so fast, five years, we won't even be using this anymore. Yeah, and you won't use that straw man POC app in production, but you're going to, right? And that app that you built that you only thought had five-year lifetime and you said 20 years ago you're going to sunset it is still rocking 40 years later, right? On you know (laughs) that system that you're just dying to try to maintain. But it's because we never put in the, at some point, if I start a company today and I'm on Windows 11, Windows 11 will end. Server 2023 will end. I need to have a plan for that. Because if you're saying, this is what I'm at and that's good, then you're assuming your business is going to die before that ends. And, uh, you know, like, but that's the thing. We don't ever plan for those things to say 23 is going to be ending. Do we have the capability for our apps all to run on 25 or 27 or whatever the next ones that's going to come out. How do we plan to get that going? But, well, you know, we don't want to maintain that. I think you said, uh, you know, that app's still rocking 40 years later. It's more like it's teetering. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's about, it's got a really heavy cough and it's not going to make it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's the other, it, I think what happens in this case, I always forget, you know, I, I come into these calls uh, with you guys and, you guys are definitely more on the app side than, than I am. And I'm looking at traditional infrastructure so much that that's too hard. And then we get into apps and that's just a whole another style of problem that we've got to deal with. Oh, um, see, we oh, see, I didn't mean, and then no, I, um, <laughs> James just booted himself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, we there's broke a vulnerability him. in the uh, recording software uh, today, but, but, <laughs> but, but I think like, that's the the funny there we go back (laughs) (laughs) Um, for real but like the app problem is a big deal you're right because i think a lot of the times when you 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 talk about like oh we'll we'll use this custom developed app for a little bit it's you know i've had those conversations so many times where somebody from usually a line of business says i just need an app to do x why don't we just write it ourselves or build it on for, you know, name your problem. Uh, I know somebody who's really good with macros in Excel that can do this. And here's my access database. Like we acquired that debt so bad, but it was also like, cool, you can go do that. Twitch, but IT is not going to support it. But then we still own it. Like in the end of the day, like that's the, that it's that division. I mean, that's almost a politics problem at that point where you get a lot of this stuff left over. Not that IT is perfect either. We have our own issues with tech debt and budgets and money, but. Eh. But James, I think what you brought up is, and this is an argument, and I'm an argument. This is a soapbox. I've, I've probably been on more times in my career than I even care to try to rec- recount. But in, in that maintenance, you can pay, you can, 
it's like maintenance on anything else. You can pay a dollar a day to maintain it or a hundred million and a catastrophic business change in three, five years, right? It, 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 it's not a linear cost. It's not like this year it's a dollar. And if you have to, if you don't touch it for two years, next year it's $2. No, no. Next year it's a thousand dollars. Right. And then if you don't touch it for three years, then it's like 50 grand and it gets into like a million dollars. Right. And it just. Well, and think goes, about that from application standpoint, right? Like I don't touch that old version forever. And now all of a sudden I need right. it. I don't have anybody on staff that originally wrote it. I got, you know, I have to go find resources to be able to go back and mess with that stuff. You know, that, like you're saying, like that, that expense balloons versus if you kept that thing up to date as you're going forward, then the people on staff should know exactly what's going on with it. Even if you've had people leave, people come on, we're keeping that going. So we, we've taken this very interesting uh, path. We started talking about vulnerability prioritization in the KEV and we, Somehow always, maybe it's because of you, James, uh, it's always we end up in the apps lamenting legacy code and no upkeep. Um, but I think these are intertwined. I think these things are intertwined. They're, they're part of the same conversation of maintenance of your IT infrastructure that it can't be done, you know, putting in a hundred Windows servers and saying, all right, we're done. It is not how it works. Putting in a hundred Linux servers or a hundred Mac, Mac make servers still. I don't know. I think they do. Um, uh, whatever. Not in any of your data centers. I don't think. <laughs> I'm sure there's none left around, so it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's but it's it, the the. I, I I'm going to tell you. I don't think the manufacturer really matters unless they're just blatantly bad. I don't know that there are any ones in the enterprise that are just blatantly bad uh, that don't get punished for it. Um, so by and large, I think that problem is is solving itself. This isn't even going into this whole like S-bomb and, and, and idea because that conversation we can have 20 more times. And probably, we probably will talk that to death. But um, this is very interesting because there's there's a lot at stake and there's a lot at uh, at risk, and I I just don't see I don't see an easy answer. I don't see a way out that doesn't require us to do good baseline and upkeep. And if you don't put in the work every day, eventually it be, it something comes along and says, by the way. Right. Your world's about to catch fire if you don't know where this, you know, like, hey, one of your rooms is about to catch on fire in your hotel. It's the one that has the blue iron. And people are like, blue iron? We have blue irons? Like, all right, somebody, everybody, somebody quickly run to every room and check it whether they have a blue iron or not. Right. And that's what that's what the equivalent of, of what we're doing is. And and you're waking people up. What's that? Did you just make that up? Like that? That's a fantastic analogy. I, I did. I just made that up <laughs> because it's a fantastic analogy because you're waking people up. You're annoying them. Not everybody will open the door. They're like, who the hell is this weirdo asking me about irons at 10 o'clock at night, right? Or two in the morning or whenever it's less convenient. Um, some people are generally just in the shower and they don't hear the door knocking. You can't go in. 
so that you know business is happening. You're like, hey, who owns this app? Nobody knows. You can't take it down because it might kill the business. So you're like, well, eh. Then we accept risk. Then we get into risk acceptance, which is a whole other thing uh, that causes a big problem. Oh, it's fine. I, I win. I can pay for that or I can accept the risk as the business owner of this app. That sounds good. That sounds like I'm going to save some money. Nothing yeah. Wait a minute. Does the context then play into that as well? Like if it's a room on the top floor in the corner, the flames are going up, so it won't burn the rest of the building down versus a room down on the bottom floor, which is going to then burn the entire building down, right? Like which I, I feel like which I feel like prioritization would tell you start at the bottom floors and work your way up. <laughs> or if you have like a presidential suite where your high rollers are, start there. Right, because you don't want to, you don't want to like annoy those people. You don't want to catch their room on fire. At, at I really want an infographic of a hotel burning down that shows like a lot. Like I can visualize this in my head of a line of priority versus severity depending on where the fire starts. Yeah, but either way, good, good analogy. Somebody's bro. getting burned. <laughs> <laughs> the only and... people that are safe are in the pool, but they drown. So. Um, <laughs> And they got I'm hit. The, yeah, they got hit in the head by a piece of the building that fell off. <laughs> this has fully devolved. All right, two things. One, that's where we're ending it on that beautiful, uh, you know, visual image. And and if anybody knows how to remember infographics from like ten years ago, if anybody knows how how to make an infographic that can depict what Grant just said, hit us up. I want you, I want you to build this because it'd be hilarious. Um, all right, there's more to discuss here, but we're like so far out of time. It's not even funny. Um, we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this, uh, folks. If you're listening, ruminate on on some ideas here. Uh, I, I want to hear war stories, uh, and, and and I want you to be able to share with us kind of like how you how your organization does it, uh, or maybe uh, we can commiserate over a different kind of podcast with drinks in hand in the evening about how uh, all the crappy ways. Uh, that we've seen people do it. I think that's going to be the next one, Grant. The three of us will get some guests on. We'll we'll tell uh, you know survival stories. Uh, back in my day, get off my survival stories. <laughs> that's right. That's did right. anybody survive? That's the question. Only in Ohio. That's it. <laughs> Full circle, baby. It's, it's more like circle. in the trenches with vulnerability management. <laughs> that's right. What's your foxhole look like? Whoa. oh god you had to i'm so sorry uh okay quick edit cut cut (laughs) i feel like we're taking that in a different direction Um. (laughs) maybe it's just me but i think grant wins too all right folks uh on that on that very uh interesting uh set of mental images thanks for uh thanks to my uh, our guest mr grant Sewell, how are you and uh how are you and and bye bye then <laughs> thank you very much all right we'll see you back another time hey james uh, uh we gotta we gotta do this again but with uh less foxhole jokes <laughs> <laughs> those you can only tell in ohio and on oh, that note it? I will end this show. Thanks, you guys, for listening. I, I, I do want your um, – if you get over into the uh, LinkedIn page, uh, I am curious, uh, your, your survival stories, uh, how things have gone wrong, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of those. Or if you've got an organization that has figured it out, got your act together, 
Uh, I want to hear it because people need to hear this uh, on ways of doing it better. So um, for myself and James and uh, Grant, thanks for listening, you guys. Um, head up that LinkedIn page, subscribe to the new um, uh, Buzzsprout uh, RSS feed. Check us out on LinkedIn Live, and, and obviously you watch this one on YouTube when it's when it's live. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Cue the music, and we're out. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound DTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another.